Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good afternoon and evening, everyone. And I am so excited to be here today because... Um, I finally have my boot off my foot. I'm, I'm weaning myself out of the boot after breaking my foot. And um, wonderful PT folks, Roz and Donna and Pam over at Indian River Hand have been working on my hand to get motion. So I feel a little less claustrophobic <laughs> right now. So the new year is a time of year for new beginnings for a lot of people, a time to let go of the way they had been doing things or just to kind of put a new perspective on things. And I've been watching a lot of TV with my mom. And one of the things that we've noticed lately is a few of the shows that we've been watching, we're watching live, which means I have to watch commercials. And it's not one of my favorite things to do, but it was perfect timing considering who my guest is today. There have been an inordinate number of commercials in the U.S. that started right after, like, January 2nd about tax planning. And John Hamm of Madman fame is doing the commercials, and they are absolutely hysterical, and they're for H&R Block, but it's all about taxes, tax planning. And that got me thinking that, you know, everybody's preparing for their tax season in the United States right now. April 15th is the big day. I've been very fortunate over the course of my, my life since I was 16 that I've had an accountant that I work with. And as I've had all of my different businesses, I've had an exceptional um, accountant and tax planner working with me. But not everybody has that luxury, which is why I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today, Diane Gardner. She is the founder of Tax Coach for You, but what I love about Diane is she is one of 400 people certified in the United States to be tax planning coaches. Um, most people think, okay, you only talk to your accountant once a year and you pay your taxes, whatever they may be. That is so not true, and I'm excited to have Diane on the show so we can talk about how you can stop overpaying your taxes. Welcome to the show, Diane. Hi, Laura. I'm so happy to be here and excited to share some wonderfully exciting tax news with your listeners. You know, it's a topic that most people are like, oh, God, I can't believe we're going to be talking about taxes. It's so boring. It's so dry. My philosophy is if you don't know what questions to ask, especially around taxes, you're going to be paying way more than you have to. Most definitely. So let's let's dive right in here. You know, um, you're not only an accountant, but you are a tax coach. What is the difference between a, an accountant, a CPA, um, and, and, and say a tax coach? Well, Laura, most traditional accountants excel at recording history. So they'll take your information, your records, your data, key it into maybe something like QuickBooks or something like that or summarize it on a spreadsheet for you, whatever, and They'll get, we always say they get the right numbers in the right boxes and they get the right forms filed on time and that's where they excel. But a tax coach says, okay, I see the history, but let's help you write your future. And so we're looking ahead three to five years and putting together a plan for you that through some proactive planning, you can actually lower your income tax bill sometimes very significantly 
just through some planning. And so that's the fun part of being a tax coach as opposed to my other hat I wear where I am that traditional accountant and you have to tell people um, how much they owe at tax time. Or in some cases, how much they get back. <laughs> Rarely when you're self-employed, but occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's something that I'd, I'd like to just briefly talk about here. Tax refunds, this is not where I want to focus in on, but to me, if you're getting a tax refund, it means you didn't plan your tax as well. So you actually overpaid and the government got to use your money and, and have interest with that money instead of it being in your bank account doing something with it. Correct? Correct, huh? Okay. So business tax accounting and planning versus personal tax accounting and planning. We always hear people like Warren Buffett, Donald Trump, you know, all these big people. They're they're not paying any taxes. They pay less taxes than their secretaries pay. They pay a lower percentage, right? A lower percentage. Mm -hmm. Is that real or are they scamming things? Oh, that is totally real, and they are using legitimate tax strategies that are contained in the IRS code. They just have retained the services of very high-level tax planners who are helping them make strategic choices and moves to be able to minimize their taxes, and sometimes they're able to reap losses that they carry forward for many, many years, like in the case of Mr. Trump, And they, but they are legitimate tax strategies that the common person, the average small business person, doesn't know anything about because they can't afford that high-level tax planning. But they can afford to start learning how to change their life and how to make smaller changes to their businesses. And eventually, sometimes those smaller changes turn into bigger changes. And now you have uh, you sent me a couple of copies of your book. One of the things I love about having guests on my show is I get to read some really awesome books and, and I learn from them. And two of them are 10 most expensive tax mistakes that cost you thousands and stop overpaying your taxes. 11 way entrepreneurs overpay and how to stop it now. I, I have to say I was proud of myself that I knew a lot of these, <laughs> but there were, there were a lot that I did not, had never heard of before. What are some things that an entrepreneur needs to start thinking about when they're, say, establishing their business? Well, Laura, probably the biggest area that I see people missing it out there is not giving any consideration to their entity type. They kind of get this wonderful idea and they open up their business and they're in business and because they've done nothing, they are a sole proprietor as an entity type. And that may or may not be the right place for them to be as that business starts taking off and making some money and starting to grow. A lot of times they will have outgrown that initial entity type and not know it. And as a result, they're paying thousands and thousands of dollars in tax that they really don't need to be paid. And the government's not going to say, hey, you really don't owe us this money. They're just going to go ahead and collect it, say thank you, and move on. Maybe they don't even say thank you. They just move on. But I, I see that one constantly, and, and we're our average client, we're able to save at least oh eight, nine, ten thousand a year just in that one move alone, to as high as thirty and forty thousand a year on some of the little bit higher clients that are that were stuck in the wrong entity type. So let's talk about the different entity types. There's sole proprietor, which is what. Sole proprietor is a 
single member type business that just decides to go into business. And so the pros and the cons of a sole proprietor is it's easy to start up and, and voila, you're in business. The cons are that every penny of your net profit is subject to self-employment tax. That's an additional 15.3% tax over and above your federal and or state income tax rates. It also does not offer you any liability protection. So if you had something go south badly in your business, you could potentially lose your personal assets as well, not just your business assets. And so it's a great entity type for certain kinds of businesses and really a bad entity type for other kinds of businesses. All right. Give me an example of one kind of business that should not be a sole proprietor. One of my favorites is an auto repair shop because they work on your brakes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's such a big thing, but it's such a small thing. And they don't even think about it. When I come across any business who's touching your car, who's touching your life, who's touching your finances, who's touching your physical body, um, any of those kinds of businesses have such a high type of liability. I've recently run across several professionals in the medical field who are running as a sole proprietor, and they're making life-changing decisions for people. It's like, oh, no, 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 we got to look at your entity type. Wow, that just amazes me that medical professionals are... are setting up as sole proprietors, normally that's the one thing they get right. <laughs> right. <laughs> With well, their businesses. I even have run, I've even come across attorneys set as sole proprietors. It's like, you guys are making life-changing decisions for people too. And what if one of those backfires? <laughs> you know, you need some protection out there. Okay. And they look at you like, yeah, I'll get to it. And then they don't. So, so you've got the sole proprietor. And to me, I don't think anybody, especially based on the way you described it, should set themselves up as a sole proprietor. It might be easy, but it sounds like there's a lot of long-term potential for downside. So what's another kind of protection? I know there's the the LLC or limited liability company. uh Yeah, LLCs is one of my personal favorites because I happen to live in a state that's very LLC friendly. So an LLC is a limited liability company, which according to your laws in your state, allow you to have liability protection for your business. And so if you set it up right, you could potentially, if something goes south with your business, potentially your personal assets are protected because you've drawn a hedge or you've drawn a line around your business. Now, depending on various states as to how well this this concept works, um, an LLC has the ability to be very flexible because it's a hybrid entity. It can act like a sole proprietorship, or it can act like a corporation, an S-corp or a C-corp, or if it's two or more members, it can act like a general partnership. So it's a very flexible planning entity in the right states. And where I live in Idaho happens to be a great state for using of LLCs. That's I, I like that you clarified that because I used to live in Connecticut and it was a good LLC state. But there were back when I first started my first company, um, a lot of states were not LLC friendly. And you'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to start it. And then you'd find out that you didn't get the same protections as you right. might have if, if you were in another state. So it was almost like being a sole proprietor. Almost, right, yeah. And then there's states like California who charge a gross revenue tax. Oh, wow. So you don't see very many LLCs in California. So it pays to know know, or do some research anyhow on whether you live in an LLC-friendly state. 
before and, you make the decision if an LLC is right for me. So if an LLC isn't right, sometimes they have to uh, look at possibly moving into one of the corporate strategies, whether it be an S-Corp or a C-Corp. And the biggest difference between the two types of corporations is who pays the tax. A C-Corp, the corporation itself pays all the tax. And S-Corp, its shareholders pay the tax. So meaning its profits flow through from the corporate level to the personal level. Okay, and I love that. And tax is paid I on the personal return. So we've covered all of that. We're about to go into our first commercial break. And we'll be back with more from Diane Gardner, certified tax coach and planner and strategist. We'll be right back. Success comes from not only what you know, but also who you know. Welcome back to It's All About the Questions with award-winning author, Laura Stewart. Diane, before the commercial break, we were talking about the different kinds of business entities. And I have to tell you, you gave one of the most concise, simple definitions of each of those I have ever heard. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I try not to get too complicated. No, and because <laughs> it just makes people confused. It does. And the topics we're they're talking we're talking about today of, you know, not overpaying your taxes and setting up your business structures right and, you know, really using the law to pay less money. It can be such a complicated topic. That's why I love your your book, Stop Overpaying Your Taxes, 11 Ways Entrepreneurs Overpay and How to Stop It Now and the 10 most expensive task mistakes that cost you thousands because, you know, they're not written like um, taxes for dummies or anything like that. They're a little higher than that. But I think they they really give an outline of the questions you need to be asking yourself as a business owner and that you need to be asking your tax preparer, your tax accountant, but most of all, your your tax planner. And I, I want to just thank you for that because I think these books are needed out there. You're welcome. And my Stop Overpaying Your Taxes book is actual real case studies from my own clientele. So I had fun writing that book because I was able to sit down and just re- kind of recreate those conversations in my head and realize I get asked these constantly. So if, if my clients are asking them, others are too. What are some of the biggest questions that you find people are not asking when it comes to their taxes? Well, it seems like since we went through the recession, we have so many small solopreneur type businesses. And I'm not saying small in money, but small in in numbers uh, where they're working from home. And some of them are making a ton of money now because they've learned how to do it and do it well. And sometimes the conversations are not being had to where they're not maximizing their home office deduction or their meals and entertainment or their auto expense deduction. Just those basic things that by themselves may not be huge amounts of tax savings, but when you group them together, it can really make a huge difference on a tax return. And sometimes I feel like they're so busy running their businesses and doing all this stuff because a lot of times they are a one or a two person show that those conversations aren't happening and they're not happening with their accountants either. You mentioned the whole meals and entertainment thing. I had a client who sent me a bunch of receipts I was helping. This is not something I normally do for all of my clients, but I was helping her set up QuickBooks and some other things. And she sent me some receipts and one of them was she went to 
like a, a restaurant just to work on something. And she wanted to write off her meal while she was sitting there at this restaurant having, you know, a glass of wine and, um, and eating some food. She wasn't with anybody. She just went there instead of at her house. Is that something that can be written off? Not generally. Because for it to be deductible, there has to be a business intent to it in that you are furthering the sales of your business. You're furthering a relationship with somebody, you know, somehow related to your business, whether it's a vendor, whether it's a a potential partner, an affiliate, a, a prospect, a client, a somebody. And pretty much for a business meal to be deductible, there has to be two people there for the most part. And so that would make it really hard to write off a meal just because you decided you wanted to go somewhere other than your home office to work. All right. Now, say that person, my client, had somebody else at the table and they just bounced one idea off of them. If you were my client, would you do, what do you think of this idea? They just asked that to this person. Does that become a business expense, a write-off? Maybe. Okay. Maybe, because it would depend on that one idea could have been their whole reason for the meeting. And if that was the you know, the business intent of this meeting, I need some feedback. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready to expand my business in this area, and I really need an outside person's feedback on it, and that's why they were meeting. Then we have business intent. So we just have to look at the whole, what is the intent did Was it two friends getting together and, oh, by the way, let's talk about business for five minutes so I can claim this as a business deduction, or is this truly a business meeting where I need your input? It sort so of sounds... things. Okay, so it sounds like you have to have strategy before you have your friend to a meal that you are planning on discussing business and you talk to them about that in advance. Say, hey... You know, I want to get together. I want to run an idea by you. That's your intent. And for the most part, I would say yes. It's the same same strategy we use when we want to write off a partial vacation. Um, so let's say I decide I want to go to you know someplace else in the U.S. other than, than freezing cold Idaho right now. And I want to go someplace warm, like Vero and Beach, so, Florida. <laughs> okay. And so then I set up ahead of time, I'm intentionally ahead of time, I set up a meeting to meet with you face-to-face and we talk about some of your coaching clients or whatever that might be. Or I'm setting up a meeting with another fellow um, tax coach planner or something along those lines so that there was a reason for us to be there. And I'll give a good example of that. I did that last summer. I was attending a conference in Utah and I had a client who was in a different area of Utah And so my husband and I made it a working vacation. We attended the conference, and then we went down and we met with this client. This is a client that I had only met one other time, and they've been my client for years. They're in Utah. I'm in Idaho. So it made a perfect chance for me to go see their their facility. We took a tour, got to go in and see how they actually kept their books, how they were tracking their inventory, met with them over the course of about three days, and it allowed us to pretty much write off our whole vacation because it was a working vacation. Yes, we got to go do a couple fun things while we were there, but our intent and our purpose was to meet with this client and really work out some planning techniques that we had talked about a couple years ago. So it's all, I think, in the advanced planning, that that if you're willing to do that, 
we can potentially move something from a non-deductible area to a deductible area. Now, you mentioned partially write-off a vacation. So say that was going to be a two-week trip, but you only had a couple of days scheduled. So you can only write off, like, what, the airfare and a couple of days of hotel and meals? Correct, right, yeah, the days that you're actually there. So your airfare to and from, because you would have incurred that regardless, and your hotel for the days that you had business activities going on, and your food for the days that you had business activities going on. Now, if you took your whole family, then you could only write off the food that's related to you, not the whole family. And if it, if it required you to have a, you know, a bigger hotel or a second hotel room or something like that, you could only write off the amount that you would have written off had you gone alone. So it's, it's a lot in the planning. How can we make this work? And then you don't, then you're not able to write off those days when it truly is vacation. Because while you're there, you're going to go ahead and go to Disney World or you're going to do something along those lines. So we're able to write off part of the vacation or, or in some cases, most of it. You know, there's so much that you have to think about. It sounds overwhelming to a lot of people because there's so many things you have to keep track of. And Correct. when we come back from uh, the national news break, uh, we're going to, Diane, you and I, are gonna, let's delve into what people need to be doing. You know, the 11 ways entrepreneurs overpay, how to stop it, and what and how people need to begin tracking it. I want the, everybody to understand having my guest Diane on is an exceptional time for you to reach out to her as well. And we're going to give her contact information because she gives free consults for you to look at what's going on in your business. Um, but we will be right back with more from Diane Gardner, tax coach for you, talking about the 11 ways entrepreneurs overpay and how to stop it now. Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with Diane Gardner, tax coach, speaker, accountant, tax planner, and I'm just going to call her tax strategist because you know I am all about the strategy. Diane... Before the uh, the national news, we were sharing. You were sharing some different um, things that people can do around meals and entertainment. What is a deduction? What is not an induction? Uh, a deductible kind of uh, event. That started me thinking. Audits. People are so afraid of audits, and we're going to go back and, and share some other ways entrepreneurs overpay taxes. But are audits something to be afraid of? Well, Laura, I'm going to give the. the- the classical accounting answer of it depends. If you have dotted your I's and crossed your T's, then no, they're not. But if you haven't, then yes, they are. And I always laugh because whenever one of my clients gets a tax notice of any sort, of course they don't even open it. They've come into the office, it's unopened, they're holding it by the very corner because they're afraid it might, you know, explode in their hands or something. And they walk in and it's like, well, you have Diane take care of this. And so, you know, People are generally afraid of the IRS, and sometimes they have good reason if they're cheating on their taxes, but if they're not cheating on their taxes and they're doing things correctly and legitimately and legally, then they really don't need to be fearful of an audit. And But it does pay to have a professional walk you through that process and don't try to do it on your own because your results will be much better with that some professional help. And 
and it's things, little things like going back to our meals and entertainment we were talking about, making sure you have five pieces of data for every receipt. They want to see the date. They want to see the dollar amount. They want to know the, where you went, the name of the restaurant or whatever, who you were with, and what was the topic, the business topic of, of conversation or the business reason for being there. So if you have all your receipts and you've got that type of stuff, you're pretty well home free on your meals and entertainment deduction. But if you don't have any of that, all you have is your credit card statement, they will throw out every every single line item. So that, that's why I say it depends. Same thing on, on your mileage. If you have a up-to-date mileage log, and we can show business intent and business reason for all these miles, they generally will look at it and just keep right on going. But if you don't have a mileage log, they get to have a lot of fun disallowing everything. And then you're trying to recreate, and life is not happy at that point. Now, mileage logs. This is a big thing for a lot of entrepreneurs because they, especially ones that do services, maybe where they drive back and forth to clients and and do work. I know I saw this all the time in, in my tech world because all of my engineers, you know, you would drive out to clients. Do you have to do mileage or can you just pay... Um, the government allowed amount for reimbursement of gasoline and things like that? Well, the government allowed, which is the standard mileage allowance, requires you to have a written mileage log. So at the end of the year, we determine that you've got 10,278 miles, and we take that times the rate for the year. Or the other method is the actual method. And in that actual method, we're actually depreciating your vehicle and we're having you track all of your your expenses, so all your receipts for gas and for repairs and for tires and for insurance and for licenses. All that stuff gets tracked and totaled up and taken as a deduction that way. But that way also requires a written mileage log. So either way that you that you um, deduct your miles requires a written mileage log. And the IRS says it's supposed to be a contemporaneous written mileage log, which means that you keep up with it daily or weekly. You don't let it sit there and it's tax time and, oh, no, I need to create my miles. And we watch the client whose eyes go to the ceiling and they look up and they go, I think I drove 10,000 miles last year. <laughs> and I go, not good enough. Yeah, Sorry, that's not going to work. me your written mileage log. And they get this look in their face that says, Oh, my God, what am I going to do? And if they're one of my clients, they know they have to bring me a written mileage log because I don't take round even numbers like that off the ceiling because my ceiling doesn't have lots of numbers sitting on it, but they <laughs> seem to find them somehow. Is there an app for that? <laughs> there are lots of apps for that, <laughs> yes. Any and any ones in particular you like over others? The one, the one I see used the most is, is um, mileage or mile IQ. I see that one a lot. And I have a couple of the clients who actually just email me their miles every month, and I just drop them in a directory, and at tax time, I've got their whole mileage log. So you, know, you can make it pretty easy by using, taking advantage of an app. Um, but either way, even if you just keep it the old-fashioned way on a calendar, something so that you know your miles. Because I've had to sit down with clients, and we've had to recreate their miles based on their invoices, some of my con- um, construction-related clients. We actually go back and look at their invoices and see where they were and all the trips they made to the various you know, materials stores and places like that that they went and try to recreate it. And that is painful to recreate mileage from a couple of years ago because now they're in a situation where they have to produce it. 
So it's much, much better to keep up with that on a daily basis. Okay. And so I guarantee you're not going to lose that deduction. So you said three years ago. Let's have you answer the question. How many years do you need to keep things and what do you need to keep? <laughs> uh, we should keep things for seven years. There are three open years at any one time. So it's all like in this case right now, 2015 is still open, 2014, 2013. If they find anything major in those three years, they can go back an additional four. So we tell our clients to keep things for seven years. With the exception of things like buying and selling properties should be kept almost forever, at least until the property is sold and those seven years have passed. Um, the biggies, you know, the big pieces of equipment and furniture and, and softwares and some of those big things that you buy, you really want to hang on to those records for a long time because you never know when you're going to need them. So at least at least seven years. Do they have to be paper? Can you scan them or and have the ability to print them out at needed, or do you have to keep all the paper files? No, you can definitely scan them, but if you're going to scan them, make sure you've got a good backup system because if your hard drive goes down and you just scan them to your hard drive, uh, that's not a good excuse for the IRS. Oh, not, no excuses like the dog ate my homework? That won't work? Right, right. Yeah, that, that one doesn't work too well with them. They've heard it too many times. Okay. What are some of the other often missed tax deductions for entrepreneurs? One of the biggest ones that's missed is medical. Being able to write off your, your out-of-pocket medical expenses through your business. And believe it or not, a sole proprietor is one of the best entities for doing, using this strategy. And that people always look at me like, what? Now, you just said that wasn't the best entity because of other reasons. But it works amazingly well, especially if you are just the only person in your business and you don't have any employees and you happen to be married because we need a spouse to make it work. And this is called a Section 105 or a Medical Expense Reimbursement Plan, or you heard it might hear it called a MERP. And that is where we're able to potentially pay your spouse with medical benefits. So we put together a plan that allows you to reimburse your spouse up to 100% of your out-of-pocket medical costs through your business. And then that spouse is able to give coverage to their spouse and your dependents, which happens to be you and then your children. So it can be a wonderful way to write off up to 100% of your medical expenses. Now, we do have to have show that the spouse really is working in your business, that you really have hired them, that they're really doing stuff, that they're keeping a timesheet, we've got a job description. We're doing the stuff that they are legitimately working in your business for you. But when that works, sometimes we're able to take a very high non-deductible piece and bring it over into a deductible area on your tax return. Because we most of us are losing 10% of our medical expenses when we fill out our itemized deductions. The, right now, we take our medical expenses and we deduct 10% of our earnings from it. And then that leaves us with a net amount that may or may not be deductible. Well, since that amount has moved from 7.5% up to 10, very few people are able to deduct their medical expenses anymore. So this, this particular strategy is becoming more popular with the small business group, the solopreneurs, those type of people who can take full advantage of it. It sounds simple, but it doesn't sound simple <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I love the idea of it, but how does the average person, I mean, do you say that they don't have you, right? 
Is this something that your accountant, if somebody's working with them, you just walk up to them and say, do I qualify for a MERP um, and set it up for me? You probably need to find a certified tax coach to help you do that because we have the paperwork to allow them to set up this MERP and to show them how to track it so that we have good records behind whether that spouse is working enough in the business to be able to warrant writing off all those medical expenses. So your average accountant probably would give you the deer in the headlights look of, um, I'm not even sure what that is, let alone how to track it for you. Okay, so how does somebody determine whether they have the right kind of tax professional helping them with their business? Oh, I love that question because there is a chapter in my Stop Overpaying Your Taxes book that says um, something to the effect of how uh, why selecting the right tax professional for your business is like dating. And we all know what the dating scene is like. You know, you kind of get to know each other over time and you find out if you have things in common. Well, very few people do that when they're looking for an accountant. They tend to just go down to their local accounting office and here I am, help me. And they they haven't taken the time to get to know that accountant and to find out, is that accountant familiar with your industry? Are they entrepreneurial at all? Are they going to be able to give you proactive suggestions and ideas? Are they on the same page you are? Because if not, they're not going to be the best accountant for you. And sad to say, there's an awful lot of accountants out there who are not entrepreneurial at all. And they're pretty much just number cruncher, you know, the, the you know, bean counter type of a person, even though I hate to say that because I am an accountant. But you want to find somebody who's going to be tracking right along with you in your business and be proactive and be able to share information with you and guide you in the direction that you need to go. There are so many, I mean, if you out the old yellow pages or Google um, accountants, CPAs, the, the list in any particular community is going to be quite large. Is there a, a place that somebody can go specifically to help find a certified tax coach and planner? Right. Yes, there is. If they went to certifiedtaxcoach.com, they would see a list of, of most, if not all of us who are actively out there Uh, sharing proactive tax advice with our clients. Okay. And we're going to be right back with more from Diane Gardner talking about a couple more things you can do to save on your taxes. Success comes from not only what you know, but also who you know. Welcome back to It's All About the Questions with award-winning author Laura Stewart. Diane, one thing came up in my head as I was listening during the commercial break. Um, there was a commercial for somebody that advertises on the station that has an incre- you know, a great service that is needed by so many for IRS debt reduction. It sounds like if you do a lot of the planning with somebody like yourself, a tax coach, that you can potentially avoid, obviously you have to pay your taxes no matter what they may be. Um, otherwise, you're going to have a lot more issues. But is there something else that um, entrepreneurs need to be thinking about, and corporations actually, for that matter, that they need to start planning for to help prevent yeah, Laura, this? I think that they that so many entrepreneurs, especially, completely forget about planning for the future 
in that they've kind of forgotten about the whole retirement planning. You know, it's easy when you work for a good-sized business and they've got the 401k and you're just contributing and your employer is matching, but now you're out on your own or you're soon to be on your own. And they get so busy, I think, in the day-to-day doing that sometimes that thought doesn't enter their head for several years. And I've had a few clients recently in their mid-50s to maybe early 60s all of a sudden go, oh, my gosh, we haven't done anything. And now all we have for retirement is hopefully the sale of our business. And so that's an area that I really like to sit down and have a conversation with people and get them started early, even if it's just a small amount, but get them started thinking along the lines of retirement. And fortunately, retirement contributions are tax deductible. So we like to take a look at those and look at some of the different types of retirement plans that are available out there for small business owners. Like what? Are we talking Roths? Are we talking IRAs, uh, SEPs? What what are we talking about? Generally, for a small business person, we're looking for the tax deduction today. And so we'll be looking at things like maybe a simple plan or a SEP plan, or depending on their business, even potentially a solo 401k plan, or even just a regular 401k if they've got several employees. Sometimes we'll look at a Roth. But it depends on the person's age and it depends on where they're at with their business as to whether the deduction is needed more today or down the road. Uh, But those are some strategies that I think get forgotten because once you open up and, and start in on business, sometimes you're wearing so many hats that you're not even thinking about this piece of your life. And it can get away on you for many, many years. And it's relatively easy to contribute to something like a SEP or even a simple plan where it's kind of one of the the bottom rungs of the retirement ladder and you can start putting some money away and start letting it grow towards those days of retirement. Now, I don't know if the laws have changed, but here's something I remember from back when I had my company. When I first started, it was just me um, when I had my tech company and I had a SEP and I contributed the maximum allowed amount and then all of a sudden I started adding employees so I couldn't contribute that same amount right. unless I contributed the same amount for my employees, which wasn't financially viable at the time. Right. Is that still a law that's in effect? Yes, yes, yeah. We, yeah, we cannot discriminate in favor of ourselves. So that's why once we get employees, sometimes we switch away from maybe just the SEP and we switch into something that requires that employee to contribute as well. And I've got several of my clients utilizing simples or even a more of a traditional 401k so that the employee contributes, but then you as the owner can contribute more because you can allocate more of the salary that we have you take into this retirement plan and then have the company match. Or there's even some safe harbor 401ks that allow you to put more away for yourself than for your, your employees. All right, so that's something I want everybody to be thinking about that Diane just talked about. If you're currently a solo entrepreneur, but you're getting ready to add employees, or you're thinking that down the road you want to add employees, you really want to talk to somebody and plan your strategy for that, because things that you're doing today may not work tomorrow the moment that first employee get hired. So start start thinking about that. Um, Diane, in, in the last like five minutes of the show that we have, how 
do people reach out to you? I've had a couple of people reach out to me via um, email and some social media stuff. They want to know how they reach out to you because they had mentioned that you do give free tax analysis for people. How do they find you? Laura, the best way for them to find me is at www.taxcoachforyou.com, and we use the number four. And on there, they'll just send me a message. We'll be happy to do a free tax analysis. And what that entails is we have them send over their last two years personal and business tax returns. And we'll take a look at it, and I'll hop on the phone or Skype with them and have a conversation and just let them see what I what I find from their tax returns. Sometimes I tell them, good job, keep doing what you're doing. Other times it's like, oh, you've missed this or I don't see this or that on your tax return and I normally see these types of things on in this industry. So we like to do these free tax analysis. We do them almost every single day. And then if we can find significant savings for somebody, then we'd like to take it to that next level and have the conversation about, is it feasible, is it cost effective to go ahead and look at potentially putting together a customized proactive tax plan for them? They can also, while they're on that website, they can request a free copy of my 10 most expensive tax mistakes that cost you thousands. We just ask that you pay the shipping and handling on there. Um, they can also pick up a copy of the Stop Overpaying Your Taxes. We don't give that one away for free, but they can definitely order a copy of that. And start start learning a little bit about tax planning and how this works and, and the, how you can just change the future of your tax liability each year. Now, you go back over people's taxes for the last few years. Say you find something that was not, and I had this happen for me, so I'm curious whether it still applies now. Um, you found something that they didn't put in as a deduction that they can, and they're due back a few thousand dollars. Can you refile and people can get that money back? I do. I amend returns all the time for people. How many yeah, years I back? Had a, I go back three years. Yep. I had a doctor that we amended just a few months ago, getting him back about $30,000 because his CPA picked up his 1099 income on his corporation and then she picked it up again on his personal tax return on a schedule c so we were able to fix that i said wait a minute i've seen that number before and we were able to fix that for him and so we we do this kind of stuff all the time for people it's always nice to have another set of eyes definitely yes. I, I love that so everybody who's listening out there um i i encourage you whether you talk to diane or somebody else have somebody look at your last few years of taxes and take a look because, you know, you might not be due 30000 back, but what if it's $500 or even $100? It's more, it's better to be in your pocket than in the government's and it's, it's the law. You're entitled to it. It's not like you're trying to break the law here. It's using the law for your benefit. So, Diane, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, Laura, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and hopefully we've been able to share some great information with your listeners. Oh, I, I've loved everything you've shared. I'm excited about it. And for my international listeners, um, you might want to be talking to somebody doing the same kind of work over there, or maybe Diane can refer you to somebody. Remember, everybody, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.